0: You're listening to Grow Great, the podcast. Traction and momentum, pursuing the things that work after killing the things that don't. Welcome inside the yellow studio. My name is Randy Cantrell. I am your host here. The website is growgreat.com. You're listening to episode 14, season 2021. Today is Friday, June the 4th, 2021. I've been too sporadic in podcasting. Well, at least here. Apologies for that. I'm going to try to do better. Yeah, there is no try. There's only do or not do, right? Traction and momentum, pursuing the things that work after killing the things that don't. Do more of what works, do less of what doesn't work. I say it all the time to clients and myself. Sounds easy. Sometimes it even sounds simple. I'm not sure about that. You know, it's kind of like urging people who want to be rich with the admonition. Hey, first thing do, get a million (laughs) dollars. Well, that's great. Just tell me how. Today's show is going to be full of vulnerability. No, 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 no. Not whining, not complaining, but explaining. Experience and insight. These are valuable things. And expertise, well, it's, it's not always transferable from person to person. Because each one of us, we're on our own unique journey. Now, we can all derive some benefit, though, when we lean into understanding somebody else's journey. It can help us figure things out for ourselves, and that is the ideal outcome of all my coaching work. We're going to talk about it. Hope everything is well with you and yours. I'm coming to you from Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas, Feels like springtime more than summer. Rain, 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 and more rain. It's unbelievable. It's like monsoon season here. Ah, come July, we're going to be thankful, though. You know, success leaves clues, so does failure. And modern culture often fools us into thinking that the path forward is something different than reality. And, in fact, a lot of people struggle with, to face reality and what with deep fakes well forget deep fakes they're shallow fakes now I mean it can be difficult to even know what's real anymore I recorded an episode about this over on my hobby podcast leaning toward wisdom LeaningTowardWisdom.com. I'll put a link in the show notes this is episode 14 season 2021 if you want to go over there and listen to that it speaks directly to this you know there's enormous power and a mind made up, but that can work for bad as well as good because a person bent on destructive behavior, well, they got their mind made up and maybe nobody can convince them that their behavior is harmful to their life, harmful to the lives of other people. And maybe, maybe they are convinced that it's harmful, but they just don't care. You can't want it for somebody more than they want it for themselves. We all want to make up our own minds. And in spite of the times when we, we wish somebody would just tell us what to do, mostly that is not what we want, even if we say it. I have found that people crave somebody with whom they can shell things down. My, my work in the last dozen years has proven this to me. Well, I didn't need proof, but I've got it now. The obstacle is always safety. Well, experts call it psychological safety. It's hard. It is hard to find people who are safe enough because we desperately want to figure things out and we want to be responsible for our own lives. But what we mostly encounter is judgment and criticality and second guessing. And you ought to do this. You ought to do that. We don't want others imposing on us, even if we do seek their help and being helpful, man, that is not easy. In fact, for some people, it's not even possible, or so it seems. I mean, I know people that they don't even attempt to be helpful. And the more I look at them, the more I I realize, you know what, They, they probably just don't have the capacity to be helpful because judgment is just so, so easy. People devoid of empathy, people devoid of compassion. Mostly, I think people have a real tough time being helpful because selfishness gets in the way. We get in the way we get in our own way. Now these are important truths. This whole traction and momentum thing, because every high achiever and every would be high achiever is chasing these things, right? We all want to build up enough speed so that we can get some lift and go higher, Unfortunately, there aren't any principles of aeronautics here to help us out because this is life stuff, and everybody is unique. We've got a unique environment and situation and history and natural tendencies and personalities and talents and connections and experiences and well, anything else you can possibly think of. Last week, a client, they asked me for an answer. It happens, and it's something that, well, I started to say I rarely do it, but that's not fair. I never do it without giving context. That is, I never tell people what to do. I may make suggestions, but I mostly, if pressed, I'll role play and I'll say, okay, this is me. Here's what I might do. I'm not telling you that you should do this. I'm not even encouraging you to do it this way. I'm going to, I'm going to role play this so that you can see and hear what it looks and sounds like. And what I want you to do is see if you can learn anything from this. See if there's anything from this that you can distill and make it your own. And if you can, great. And if you can't, okay, then we've just kind of spent our time and we've done this role play for nothing. But once in a while, once in a while, and clients know how I roll. so. I don't often get pressed, but once in a while, a client will do what happened to me a week or so ago. They'll just blurt out. Listen, just tell me what you think I ought to do. (laughs) And I, I did what I almost always do. And this drives clients crazy. I still do it. I don't do it to drive them crazy. I do it because it's frankly, it's the right thing to do in my judgment. I ask questions. Just tell me what, what you think I ought to do. And so I say, were you born in Ada, Oklahoma in 1957? And he says, no. And I said, well, I was, so it doesn't much matter what I would do. It doesn't much matter what I think you should do. We need to explore your options and then we need to explore and see, are we seeing all the options? So for the next 45 minutes, that's what we did. We examined the choices before him and then questioned: okay, what aren't we seeing? Might there be something else here in these choices that we have not even mentioned? And as we wrestle these things, he settles on two and then we keep on wrestling those down until he, 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 he achieves a clear winner and that's the work. That's how this works. So I wanted to give you that context because I want to share with you my professional journey over the last dozen years or so. No, no, we're not going to go back and revisit all the minute details here. I'm going to paint with a pretty broad brush but since I left the C-suite to set out to serve and help business owners and executives and leaders, there are some really, I don't know, there's some insightful things that I hope can be of benefit to you. Traction and momentum. These are critical goals for everybody that I work with. They're critical goals for all of us. Anybody and everybody who is trying to achieve anything at all is looking for traction and momentum. One of the biggest questions that we ask ourselves is, when should I quit? When should I give up? How can I know that it's time to stop? Or when should I pivot? You don't have to be an entrepreneur in a startup launching, you know, some new business to ask yourself those questions, whether it's about a relationship, a hobby, a fitness routine, anything else that we pursue. All of us are wondering how long, how long should we stick with this? Especially if we say, how long should we stick with this? Because I don't feel like, and I'm not seeing any meaningful progress. Many, many years ago, there was a family reunion on a big lake in Oklahoma. I'm 11 or 12. I've got a cousin who is six or seven years older than me. And it's a huge lake. And we're one part of this lake and way out there is this, like island in the middle of, of the lake. I say the middle of the lake, I don't know, but it's out there. And we decide, Hey, let's swim. Let's swim to that. Now we were both really good swimmers. So no problem. This is a lake that is filled with skiers and stuff. So it probably wasn't the smartest thing to do, but we did it anyway. Cause we wanted to see this Island over there. So we take off and we're swimming, we're swimming, we're swimming. Occasionally, you know, we see skiers are coming by. So, you know, we, we dive down, you know, as deep as we can go and stay for a while and let the boat pass and keep on swimming at some point it dawns on us, you know, we've been swimming a while. I don't know about you, but that it doesn't, it doesn't look much closer. You know, you turn back around, you look where you took off from. And it's like, well, that, that, that looks, a, that looks a fur piece back. It's like, well, do you want to go back? No, we don't want to go back. Let's. Yeah. I mean, we want to see this Island, you know, let's keep swimming. Let's keep swimming. We'll get there. And when we get there, we can catch our breath and then we'll jump in and swim back. Seth Godin, he wrote a book in 2007 entitled the dip subtitled a little book that teaches you when to quit and when to stick. It's a, it's a short worthwhile read. I'm not certain that it actually teaches you when to quit. I'm not sure it teaches you when to stick either, but I did find it helpful even if it didn't provide absolute answers. And frankly, I was never expecting Seth Godin to provide me the, he's super smart, but he was provoking thought and that was plenty good enough for me. And I would highly encourage you to read the book. If you haven't, I'll link it up in the show notes. We jump into the water, kind of like my cousin and I, and we begin to pursue some outcome. Like we're trying to get to this little Island. Now we weren't swimming for hours, but it was half an hour, you know, and after hours of swimming, it may be tough to know, are, are we, cl- are we closer? Are we further away? I mean, at what point do you turn back? How much longer do you keep swimming? At what point do you quit? And frankly, if you're swimming, well, quitting's not an option because that involves drowning. So you, you're going to have to keep swimming forward or you're going to have to turn back. There are many stories of mythical failures, you know, times when a person I'm thinking of when people make this nominal investment at an early stage in a company, like an Apple, I remember hearing story. You remember Atari, this game company. I remember, I remember hearing story. It was a Nolan Bushnell company. I remember hearing stories of early, early investors and Atari just absolutely went bonkers successful when early, early on back in the eighties, when gaming was, you know, really kind of became a thing. And you you would hear stories of people. I remember hearing stories of, you know, early Apple investors. They walk away, right? They've got some modest investment, but it, it happened in a critical time in these companies' history. Now, they cashed out. And the company goes on to become, you know, this global behemoth. And we think, man, they – What idiots, man, they quit too soon. Well, that's easy for us to say, easy for us to see now, but maybe in real time, that person, they made a choice that seemed best for them. I mean, why else would you do it? Okay. Maybe you need the cash. Maybe here's what we don't hear. We don't hear the stories of the people who cashed out and man alive, you know, they, they avoided, (laughs) they avoided disaster and we think, well, maybe it wasn't a bunch of money, but Somebody invest $10,000 and they just lose $10,000. But what if they got it back and they said, "Now nah, I'm out, I'm out. I'm going to sell my shares and I'm done. And you never hear of that company again. No, we don't hear those stories. We hear the stories of magnificent failure. How can we know? Well, sometimes we can't because time and chance happens to everybody. Good fortune falls our way. Sometimes not failure is our more commonly shared experience than success. Yeah. Let me repeat that. Failure is our more commonly shared experience than success. Now we don't want to admit it. We don't want to talk about it. Did you see this meme indexed? Do you follow her? Her name is Jessica. I think it's Jessica Hagey. (laughs) H. A. G. Y. <laughs> she does she does brilliant little graphs and illustrations and she does them on index cards. And so, you know, her brand is indexed. I think she's I'm pretty sure she's the one that did it. So she it's like this pie chart. And there's this little sliver. And the little sliver, you know, says, you know, it's like it's basically what people share on social media. And then the the big piece of the pie is that that's that's who people really are (laughs) now. Okay. Well, they don't, we don't share that. And we can all relate to that. We can all relate to that. We fret about our ego. We fret about our appearance. We fret about our image. We ignore, we avoid conversations about failure because I don't know, we, we, we think they might be more harmful when the truth is they're not. The truth is they could be far more beneficial because we could all learn a thing or three. I mean, forget that we likely should fret more about our ignorance and our weaknesses and our lost opportunities to learn so that we can become better people. And in the process, maybe find the traction and the momentum that we don't have and we desperately want. I get it. Listen, I get it. We don't want to be vulnerable to just anybody or everybody, and I'm not suggesting that we ought to be, by the way, that's a decision that you have to make for yourself. Like I don't have to podcast. Nobody's got a gun to my head to podcast, and I don't have to podcast the things I do podcast, but I, I do. It's how I roll. I am suggesting that more of a step forward to be that somebody, that somebody who's willing to, To share some vulnerability because frankly, the world, the world could use it the world could certainly use a fresh dose of honesty and wisdom and learning and understanding and a lot less posturing. Now, listen, all of this can be had when we, when we talk about and we listen and we understand and we share our failures and our struggles because we're all struggling to capture traction and momentum. And if we did get it, we may have lost it. And so now we're struggling to recapture it because that's the thing about traction and momentum. These are not check the box activities, traction done. We'll never have to fool with that again. Momentum done. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. You drive through some muddy ground and suddenly you're stuck. And you give the car more gas, you put it in reverse, you put it in forward, you give it gas, you're going nowhere. You're stuck. And eventually you get out to take a look, right? I mean, it can't hurt to examine the situation. Let's see what we got here. The faster you do that, the better. I mean, how about the minute you're stuck, you do that? Okay. Well, no, we don't, we don't, we don't tend to do that. I mean, that would be better than just gunning the engine and digging yourself deeper. Well, now you're outside and you're staring at this wheel that's about three inches deep in slimy mud. Nearby, you spot some rocks and some decent-sized sticks, and you're thinking, this this probably won't work, but I'm stuck. So no harm, no foul. Best you figure, putting a few good-sized rocks and sticks under the tire can't hurt, so you give it a go. And now you get back behind the wheel of the car, and you put the car in forward gear, and you gun it. And you hear the sound of these sticks breaking, and the rock's, being dislodged and you're still stuck no traction no momentum back outside you go gonna take another look at this thing huh you you begin to realize you know i made a mistake not with the sticks and the stones that 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 still might work i probably gave the car too much gas so you have this idea i'm going to repeat the process more sticks more stones This time I'm going to gently give the car some gas. I'm just going to see if I can't ease out of this mud. Here you go. Nice and easy. Car begins to inch forward. You got some traction. No, this isn't racetrack traction, but it is enough to get you unstuck. And right now that's all the traction you need. That's all the traction you want. You just want to be able to inch your way out of this hole. And within seconds, you're free. Traction. Momentum. Oh, and you've learned. I mean, you're not going to make that same mistake. What mistake? Well, I'm not going to gun the engine the next time. Life is like that all the time, every day. You and me, we are making adjustments based on what did not work. We are figuring things out. We are trying our best to find what works and find what doesn't work so that we can make this determined decision I need to do more of what works, and I need to quit doing this stupid stuff that doesn't work. That can be hard. So what can I share? What can I share that might help you today? Well, there's plenty because I have failed more more often than not, but I don't suspect I'm all that much different from you. Maybe. Here's the rub. Some of us have won bigger than others, and that can dwarf the failures. Others of us, we haven't won so big. Okay. So the failures just seem larger, right? It's a relative perspective. Let me pick on two really wealthy Dallas business guys who both happen to own sports teams, Mark Cuban, Mark Cuban's failures and struggles. Well, they just don't seem much to us because, well, we're sitting here admiring his wealth, which is projected to be about $4.4 billion net worth. Well, I, you know, I don't care what his failures are. He's $4.4 4 billion. I mean, however, let's compare him to Jerry Jones, owner of the Dallas Cowboys. Projected net worth, 8.8 8 billion. Twice what Mark Cuban's got. Well, compared to Jerry Jones, Mark Cuban's failures look larger. The fact is we've all been fortunate. We've all been unfortunate. We have all failed. We have all succeeded. Now other people can judge and they can measure and they can quibble over the differences in the magnitude. Who cares? Mark Cuban, successes or failures don't impact my life. Well, okay. If I'm a Mavs fan, they might. Jerry Jones, ditto. If I'm a Cowboys fan, they might. Professionally, I ran companies until about a dozen years ago. And it was then that I started doing what I called roll your sleeves up, get your hands dirty consulting work. And after a few years, I realized, well, I hate this. This, this sucks. I mean, it was too disconnected from the people side of things to suit me. And honestly, it didn't really suit my natural abilities. So I pivoted. I pivoted into coaching entrepreneurs and CEOs and executives and leaders in city government. And that last one, leaders in city government, that last one was purely serendipitous. And I was very thankful, am thankful, to one young man who reached out because he knew me. And from there, well, word of mouth took over. Unlike consulting this coaching stuff, this felt right. This fit me like a glove. Deep, private, confidential conversations, helping people figure things out not being the guru in the room, not being the smartest guy in the room, not telling people what they ought to do, just helping them figure it out, helping them see it. That's how I've always rolled. And it played, well, it played into all of the things that I just kind of naturally do pretty well. And it played into my personality strengths. I mean, frankly, these were things that were relatively easy for me. I loved them, still love them. Best of all, it moved the needle in people's lives and in their careers. Not me, but having somebody like me who could help them do the work of figuring it out, it made all the positive difference in the world. It was, and it still is, ridiculously rewarding. Well, about six years ago, I was introduced to the professional peer advisory world, namely CEO peer groups. I'd never been in one still wasn't in one, but I was asked to form one here in DFW and as captivated as I was, and I still am with the notion of CEOs or some United group of people banding together to help one another, the situation, it just, it, it was not ideal for me. Culturally, I just was not a good fit. It happens, but I was still completely sold on the power of a group of people With one major commonality coming together in a professional peer advisory group. I was absolutely sold on it. I'm even more sold on it today. That's when I introduced myself to a man named Leo Batari. Leo Batari is a co author of a book called The Power of Peers. It is subtitled How the Company You Keep Drives Leadership, Growth, and Success. Well, I read the book, I was impressed with the book, and I introduced myself to Leo. We've struck up a friendship and we have a podcast today. That podcast is branded peer novation peer, like the power of peers peer novation after Leo's company of the same name, which is devoted to helping groups and teams and organizations elevate their performance through the incorporation of the five factors of peer advantage as outlined in that book. I won't go into them. You can read the book. It's a worthwhile read. So for the past five or six years, I've studied the topic. I've immersed myself in Leo's world and learned all that I can and continue to learn from him. Talked with dozens of people who've been able to teach me firsthand the value proposition of people supporting and serving one another in these peer advisory groups. And I was already a convert. I mean, I was a convert a long time, even though, even though you know, it it just wasn't much of a challenge for me to increasingly see the high value of peer advantage. I, I saw it. I continue to see it. I continue to build on it. People learning together by sharing their insights and their experiences and their wisdom. I will just flat out tell you my belief, my conviction, what I, what evidence has persuaded me of. There's nothing like it. Almost two years ago, nah, not quite, but some months before the pandemic, started to kick our butt. I'm sitting with a client and we're talking about doing more of what works and less of what doesn't. And he asked, well, how can you know? Sometimes I feel like things are very subtle. And so we keep talking through his circumstances, his particular challenges and opportunities. And we both understood even more deeply than we had before. You know, he's right. It's difficult sometimes to discern recognizing traction and momentum as well as recognizing the lack of those things. It's not always dramatic. In fact, we were remarking with one another that his career as well as mine were proof that sometimes it's tough to figure out if you're making progress. It's kind of like my cousin and me swimming that lake. It's, are we closer? Doesn't we gotta be closer? Logic tells us we're closer, but boy, it doesn't look it. So I asked him, well, when you, when you feel like there's a lack of evidence to show you if you're making progress or not, what do you do? And he took a deep breath and he mumbled. It's a good question. I'm not sure. And so I said, well, let's think about it. And so we sat there in silence, a few minutes passed. And finally he said, I suppose I follow my gut. What does that mean? I mean, tell me what that feels like. Tell me what you're thinking when you're following your gut. I asked him. And so he began to recite some instances where he simply didn't want to quit. He didn't really have any evidence. He just didn't feel like giving up, even though, even though there were no strong definitive signals that what he was doing was working. In fact, there could be more signals perhaps that they might not be working. And as I probed more, he admitted that during these moments of determination, he believed success was possible even probable, and he concluded that unless he had compelling evidence to show him progress or failure, he based his actions, he surmised on his confidence or his belief in the thing. And here's what he said, I think I give up when I lose faith in it. I think I give up when I lose faith in it. So being the guy that I am, naturally curious and wanting to make sure I understand. I wanted to wrestle down. What exactly are you losing faith in? I mean, are you losing faith in yourself? Are you losing faith in the activity? What exactly are you losing faith in? He said, sometimes both. Sometimes I finally conclude, he said, that the idea might be valid, but I'm clearly not going to be able to carry it out. Sometimes I suppose I'm just the wrong man for the job. Now, this was not a statement of insecurity. This was a high performer. Rather, it was a statement of a big-time, confident person who had high self-awareness. I began to tell him about my son. My son was somewhat in the early throes of a full-time career change. He had started a home inspection business. He's got a master's degree that enables him to, enabled him to kind of rise in the land of public education. But after a decade in that arena, he was completely bored, burned out, sick and tired of being sick and tired. Loved the kids, hated the system. And besides he's got a, he's got a bit of an entrepreneurial bent and he's an extrovert. So I'm telling this client how different I am from my son who is now 40 years old. Now, you should understand that a big part of my work, especially early on in every coaching engagement, is to encourage my clients to become the best version of themselves. And that sounds vague in general. I'm more specific about it in that I tell them, lean into being exactly who you are. Don't try to be something or somebody you're not. Be more of who you are. Let's just, you know, let's put in the work for you to be better. Well, my son has got skills that come very naturally to him skills. I don't have, and I have skills that aren't natural for him and true confession. I often envy what he's able to do with ease, things that I just never could. Even if I gave it intense effort, I couldn't do it. It's that old adage, you know, about asking a fish to climb a tree. Well, that ain't gonna happen. Squirrels, no problem. We climb trees all the time. They don't even think about it. The fish, same thing in water. Sometimes our failure isn't really a failure, it's learning. I know, I know. There are people that all failure is learning. Yeah, okay, maybe, maybe not. But I can tell you, sometimes our failure really isn't failure, it's learning. The sticks and the rock under the tire. Didn't work the first time, but it worked the second time. So, okay, well, that ain't the failure. It's learning. Sometimes we are unaware of how much of a fish we are. Well, no wonder climbing the tree ain't working for us because self-awareness is hard work. It's hard to come face to face and understand you're a fish. You're not a squirrel, but that's the work. That is the work that I do. That's the work that I devote my days and my weeks to. To helping people come face to face with themselves, all of our progress emanates from our ability to face the reality, our reality. And if we are displeased with that reality, okay, we have a choice to make. We can do something about it. We can transform, not by becoming something completely different, but by improving and growing who and what we are. Well, this encounter with this client provoked me to think about my own traction and my own momentum. And within a few days of that conversation, again, I'm going back not quite two years ago. I had spent considerable quiet time looking more intently at my own progress, especially in one area, peer advantage. My interest in peer advantage had not waned. However, over time, I realized I'm doing exactly what I'm urging my clients not to do. And the phrase that I use is push water up a hill. Pushing water up a hill is just a metaphor for attempting to do something. That's not likely our best interest or attempting to do something with so much inefficiency. It's basically not worthwhile. In other words, it's a catch-all phrase for futility. Pushing water up a hill is a futile effort. So I'm staring into the mirror. And I'm realizing how guilty I have been in trying to push water up a hill. And like this client, I was going on my gut, right? I'm going on my faith. I'm going on my belief. I didn't have any evidence that any of my attempts were working, that they were moving me closer towards success. I got no evidence that I'm getting closer to the island that I'm swimming toward. In fact, I had very little, well, let me correct it. I had more evidence that it wasn't working, but I so firmly believed in it. I refused to quit. Meanwhile, other endeavors that I wasn't even that focused on, they're growing. I'm ignoring traction and momentum in these areas because, well, I'm just not paying close enough attention. And I eventually came to understand with more clarity than I had in a very long time, I'm a hypocrite. I'm urging my clients to do more of what works and less of what doesn't. And here I am and I'm doing just the opposite. I'm paying almost no attention to what's working because I'm obsessed with trying to make something work that isn't working. And for weeks and weeks, well, months and months, I refused. I just simply refused to quit. I wanted it so badly. I just refused to quit. Now, this thing <laughs> this thing was not succeeding at all, namely my desire to build a professional peer group. I had long ago dubbed it The Peer Advantage. In fact, I own the URL, thepeeradvantage.com. If you go to that, it takes you to this website, growgreat.com. So now fast forward, and I don't know. It's three weeks ago, give or take. It's the middle of the night. My time of day (laughs) when I do my best thinking and pondering, you know, it's 3, 4 a.m. And I decide, okay, time to come to grips with all this. I've done this once before. I'm probably, well, I've done it more than once, but not like this. I've done it once before like this. I coached myself through the process with tough questions and challenges. Now I did this out loud. Yeah, I did. I did it verbally. The first time I did it, I recorded it. I didn't record it this time. So. Here, let me paint the image i'm i'm doing a one man play but i'm playing two characters i'm playing the coach and i'm playing the client i'm coaching the client exactly the way i coach my clients except i'm both coach and client got it mm-hmm. yeah i know i'm i'm sure if anybody would have eavesdropped they would have thought who is he talking to it's funny i i i will even I will even sound different. Huh. I mean, I was into it. You should try it sometimes. It might be a worthwhile exercise. I don't know. If you don't want to try it, well, okay, hire me. You won't have to try it. Huh. Shameless plug. So I do all this, and by the time I'm done, well, I'm, I'm getting increasingly tired. Here's what I concluded. The idea, building a professional peer group. The idea is completely valid. In fact, it's terrific. It's even more terrific now than it was when I first was approached with it six years ago. But I'm not the right guy for the job. It's exactly what my client said. I'm not the right guy for the job. It's like those things that my son does so well, but they're almost impossible for me. I'm simply unfit for getting traction and momentum. Instead. I am ideally suited to facilitate groups when they're gathered for a specific purpose to achieve something specific. I'm ideally suited for going one-on-one in deep interactions to help clients figure things out. I am not, I repeat, I am absolutely not ideally suited to sell and market and enroll folks in a professional peer advisory group. I love deep conversations. But unlike my son, I am an introvert and I despise, I despise selling in spite of the fact that I have spent most of my career selling. I don't look down on it. I just, I just, and I've been successful at it, but I don't like it. I don't enjoy it. Influence. That's easy. Selling. That's hard for me. But there is something more important. There is this truth that I came to better understand in this night of self coaching, I love to craft and create content, content to help my clients better understand, not all of the content that I create. In fact, a a good portion of the content I create, you've never seen, you've never had access to, I do it specifically for my clients and it mostly is really individual content to help them figure things out, content to serve as a bit of a provocateur to the times when we're not together, when we're not talking, content to help them paint themselves into a corner so they can at long last come face-to-face with themselves and move forward. In fact, that's the summation of my work, helping people paint themselves, not me painting them, but helping them paint themselves into a corner so they can finally come face-to-face with who and what they are and now move forward. I love to write. I love to podcast. You know, all that talk, you hear it all the time. Be a media company, be a media company. Well, that's right up my alley. I've been a media, I've been a one-man media company for more than 20 years, but I really haven't thought of myself in those terms. Not until very recently. I've just used it. I've just used the media media you know really more auxiliary for auxiliary purposes than more overt purposes 20 years ago i'm 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 podcasting and one of the m- most common things that i heard at the time is you're not selling anything i mean do you do you sell anything <laughs> and i would email people back my listeners and like no not selling anything they're like you know they just didn't get it mm-hmm. Couple my introversion with my need and my natural talent to engage in deep conversations and my natural curiosity to ask questions and to carefully listen so that I can understand. And well, it begins to make sense now that the transactional nature of what many endeavors require, including building a professional peer group is a skill set. And a passion I just don't have. I mean, I could lean into trying to do things that I know work, but I'd have to go against my natural wiring to make it happen. And even then I wouldn't be very good at it. And the older I get, the harder that is. And frankly, the less inclined I am to do it. So I'm making notes and I'm pondering, I'm doing the mental wrestling, right? That we all do when we're engaged in these well, in growth exercises and experiments. And I come, ter- I come to terms with what I've long known about myself, mostly by looking more closely at the things that I do by default. I really get fixated with clients about this, you know, default behaviors. We've all got them. And when I say default, don't let your imagination immediately go to the negative. Default doesn't mean negative. Default just means it's just kind of your natural inclination. Now that can be good. That can be bad, but it is what it is. Productive things, things that I love and I'm thinking about it and I'm making notes in no particular order, writing, podcasting videos. Okay. Well, they all fall in the category of trying to share insights, experience, and wisdom. They all come, they all fall under the banner of communication, telling a story. Not in a spirit of do this, don't do that, but in a spirit of this is what I've learned so far, and this might help you. But I'm not telling you to do it this way. I'm just challenging you to figure it out so that you can make application in your own situation. Deep curiosity about others. I want to know as much. I want to know as much as others are willing to share. And the past dozen years of coaching have taught me that almost, almost 100 percent. Now, there's always a very rare outlier, but boy, not often. Almost 100% of my clients crave my arrival. They crave somebody with whom they can be completely free and uninhibited to share their fears and their concerns and their challenges, their hurdles, whatever else stands in their way of progress. And I love, absolutely love being that safe person for other people. And I'm pretty stinking good at it. So mentally and emotionally, well, I made up my mind. Now, I'm again, this is about three weeks ago, right? This is my, my, my one-on-one coaching session with myself at 3 or 4 a.m. I could hear Tom Petty sing, it's time to move on. It's time to get going. Yeah, what lies ahead? I got no way of knowing. Well, okay, what lies ahead? I might have some way of knowing, but okay, you know, we don't absolutely know. But that's kind of exciting, right? This was weeks ago. About three, but I was fearful to go public. That's why you hadn't heard from me very much. I didn't tell anybody, not even my wife. I mean, shame of failure, that was hitting me till I realized that I was constantly preaching to others, nobody is paying attention to you. Nobody's paying attention to you, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just honest. People are too busy with their own lives. We delude ourselves sometimes thinking that, you know, folks are noticing every trip every trip and fall down moment that we have. No, they're not. And we think, well, they, not only are they seeing us, they are seeing us. And when they do see us, they're laughing at us. Uh So it's almost 4 AM and I'm smiling at the thought. And I figure, you know, if folks are laughing, you know what that means. You know exactly what that means. It means they are paying attention. Well, how cool is that? Good enough. And besides, it's my life. It's not theirs. And everybody needs a good laugh every now and again anyway. Huh. And I know what I'm really good at. I turned 64 back in May, May the 7th. I know what I'm good at. I'm old. I got that figured out. Okay, but did I have it figured out? I just told you a story about how I didn't have it all figured out. This is the other thing. It's like traction and momentum, figuring it out. That's not a check-the-box activity either. Great. Got that figured out. Got myself figured out. Yeah, here's the problem. You're changing. You're growing. Okay, sometimes you're regressing. Me too. But I know what I'm good at, and I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of what I'm not good at. It is what it is. Mostly, I was really tired. (laughs) I was really, really tired of what, I now saw as the reality. I was really tired of the hypocrisy. "Sore with your strengths was a concept that the father of strength finder, Donald O'Clifton, he taught me that, not personally, in a book that he wrote in 1992. It was entitled the exact same thing, "Sore with Your Strengths. I got a photograph of my copy that I'm holding that I'm going to post over there with a link to, you can go buy it if you want. That book resonated with me. I bought it in 1992 when it came out. And it fit, everything that I had long, it, it fit everything that I had long believed, and it has fit everything that I have long urged my clients. Be more and better of who you are instead of struggling to be something that you're not and, frankly, probably never will be. I was preaching solid, evidence-based sermons, and now it was time for me to live up to my own sermons. Mostly to be true to myself in order to provide more value to others. Okay, so what am I telling you? Here's what I'm telling you. I'm pulling the plug. I'm pulling the plug on any attempt to build a professional peer group. Oh, I'm still very focused. I've always been focused in building and sustaining high-performance cultures, high-performance environments. And I believe, and I'm working, it begins with helping leaders at an individual level build the highest performing careers for themselves possible so they can be more impactful. This is the paradox of it. In order to be an extraordinarily great leader, you have to look in the mirror, which necessarily means you got to be selfish. And then you have to quickly, as quickly as you can get past that to having an intense focus on others and not yourself. From there, it's about growing people so that we can have groups and teams that accomplish great things. It's about leveraging high performance right where we live, right where we are, right where we're working so our organizations can benefit. It's leadership. It's leadership. In a word, it's influence. And now for me... Well, it's about leveraging all my best skills, insights, and experiences so that other people can derive the most value. It's an intense focus on others. And I'm sad to report. I'm absolutely sad to report, but I've already said it. The focus was, I want to do this. I want to do this. I wasn't so much thinking about others. I told a client just this week, and I've said this to many, many clients before, all of our leadership failures, in my experience and in my based on my insight, all of our failureship leaders, all of our failures as leaders stem from moments of selfishness. It's when our ego gets in the way. We tend to fail as leaders when we're thinking about ourselves and we're not thinking about the other person. Mark it down. It is absolutely true in my life. And I don't yet know anybody that it's not true for. So I'm leveraging my best skills and my insights now with a more intent focus on others. For me, for me, it's about creating instructional, educational, inspirational, and challenging content, which is what I love to do to help more people figure it out for themselves faster and better. What might that look like? You know, I'm not sure. Yeah, I've got some strong ideas. But I've learned this much. In order to grab onto something new and something better, we got to turn loose of something old that ain't working. I've told the story before, and you know it, about the way to capture monkeys, tether a bottle with a narrow neck, to the ground with a tether put a peanut in the bottle monkey goes in grabs the peanut he can get his hand into the jar no problem but not once he's made a fist holding on to the peanut won't let go of the peanut holds onto the peanut until he's captured if he'd only turn loose just turn loose and then you can be free to go find all the peanuts you want So happy Friday, June the 4th, 2021. I'm turning loose, and boy, does it feel, well, pretty grand. It feels like relief. Be well, do good, grow great. The website is growgreat.com. My name is Randy Cantrell. Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio.